and we're joined in the studio now by the Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, as we continue our series of party leader interviews. Good afternoon and Good welcome afternoon, to the programme. Justin. And let us begin with the events of, of this weekend, historic events indeed. Um, after two years, uh, Northern Ireland's executive is back up and running and, and for the first time, Sinn Féin is there in the First Minister's office. That is no doubt a, a proud moment for you, for Michelle O'Neill and for your party. Does having Sinn Féin in the First Minister's office bring the prospect of a united Ireland closer? Well, Justin, as you say, the weekend's events have been historic. I mean, let's just say in the first instance, it is a matter of great relief that we have the executive meeting on Monday, that we will have a functioning assembly and that we're going to have government restored uh, because the the bread and butter, the day-to-day issues have to be tackled. And I sensed yesterday not just a sense of relief, but really a very great sense of purpose by everybody who, who showed up uh, to make all of this work and to deliver for people. So that's the first order of business. The, the, the second thing to say is, of course, the first nationalist, the first Republican occupying the office of First Minister is hugely historically significant, bearing in mind that the Northern State was specifically engineered to ensure that someone like Michelle O'Neill would never, ever darken the office of First Minister. And yet, such is the level of change and progress that that has now come to pass. And for me, that demonstrates, and it is a moment of great joy for nationalists, for Republicans, for people particularly who grew up in a very, very discriminatory environment. So for nationalism, it's a big day. But I think for society more generally, it's a statement of equality that no office, including the highest office in the land, is beyond the reach of anyone. And I think that's wonderful. As to the Irish unity question, the conversation is now underway. Um, there's no singular event that will bring uh, things about bar the referendums as and when we have them. But I, I certainly uh, think it needs to be acknowledged that you now have a First Minister who is a united Irelander. Mm. Uh, this question is is live and, and the way you've heard me say it a million times, Justin, but let me say it again. Preparation for constitutional transition and change needs to be underway now. And, and by the way, it needs to be led by the government in Dublin. You, you said uh, during the week that a united Ireland was within touching distance and yet the deal done between the, the DUP and the UK government is called safeguarding the union. Uh, the DUP leadership obviously believes that this deal strengthens the union. Are they wrong on that? I don't think anybody should be surprised or in any way mesmerised by unionists advocating a unionist position. And that's really what's happened here. I mean... No, but that's not the question. Does the deal that was done to get the unionists uh, back, to get the DUP back into Stormont, does that strengthen the union or weaken it? The The... The provisions for the union or the ending of the union are contained in the Good Friday Agreement and the 1998 Act. And that is in no way changed by anything that has been agreed between the DUP and the British government. That remains the rule book. And what it means, therefore, and this is probably the great genius of the Good Friday Agreement, is that on the one hand, we work together constructively, energetically to face the here and now issues in our economy, our health service, in housing. But equally, 
those of a Irish unity perspective and those of a unionist perspective can articulate, advocate and work for those positions. But the rule book is and remains the Good Friday Agreement uh, in which the, this question will be uh, adjudicated by means of referendums and a simple majority of 50% plus one either maintains the union or uh, brings that situation how, how, to an end how, and reunifies how, how soon, the Ireland. How soon would you envisage that referendum taking place? In this decade. And it, that's been my position uh, for quite some time. I think this is a, a decade of opportunity. I think the opportunities afforded to this island uh, in reunification are immense. They could not be overstated, but we are going to have to manage the process. And I think responsible leadership, responsible political leadership would be at that now. Um, And I think the government's shared island unit is a useful device. I I don't wish to play down its efforts. It's a very constructive device, but it's not enough, Justin. We we now need active planning. And the the government in Dublin needs to clear the democratic space for this inclusive conversation to happen. And I think people will be amazed and surprised at the level of common cause and common ground that exists. Okay, because there would be compromises required on all sides. I mean, would you personally be prepared to compromise on something like having a different flag or a different different national anthem? Well, you see, for me, the... um the tricolour of orange and green and peace between the two is the ultimate expression of mm. inclusion and, and a settled Irish position. And, I, I accept and, and, that others and, don't and, see it that yes, way. We know, I accept we, that. We know from the polling and the research that's been done by the Irons Pro- Project, for example, that uh, a large majority of Protestants um, would, would they, they do not want or would not want to keep the tricolour in the event of a United Ireland. So is that something you could compromise on? Well, listen, let let those who have that view come to the table and mm. make that case and I will listen to everybody but with you, the, an you, open you, mind you and an open heart. You just said a minute ago that you would be surprised at the level of common ground and that compromises were required and yet you're, you're, you're pinning but your Justin, colours you're, you're pinning your colours to, to the tricolour Justin, to the flag. Can I, can I tell you this? I have spoken, as you can imagine, to lots of people on the subject of constitutional change publicly and more often privately. And just so as we're clear, the single biggest issue that unionists in particular raise with me is not about flags and emblems or identity, as important as those things are. It's actually around the health service. That's the single consistently big issue. That and then increasingly I have noticed issues around pensions and where that might sit. So the questions of symbols and identity, of course they're hot topics and of course we need to talk about them. But when I talk about the common ground, let's start from the place where we have most agreement, which is we want decent, accessible health services. We want an economy, an economic model and prosperity that can fund decent public services we want quality jobs and above all else we want the best opportunity in future for our young people and our children and I thought it was striking yesterday that Michelle O'Neill's words and her challenge was let our legacy be the very very best for our children and our young people to achieve beyond our expectations and I felt that was echoed actually by Emma Pengali's words Mm. also so that's really in in my estimation where the conversation is and flags and anthems of 
of course we can talk about. Of course you, you we can. You can talk about, but does there have to be a willingness uh, on the part of Republicans to compromise on those issues too? Yes, but we come to the table firstly as Republicans. Like we all have to accept our, our starting uh, points. People will bring their views. And I, I have said consistently that we have to be prepared to talk about everything. But you've asked me my opinion on the flag and I have given it to you okay. honestly. I, I, of course, respect that others uh, may not see it that way. Um uh, and who's to say perhaps they can be convinced or, or vice versa. But that's the great beauty of democratic dialogue, isn't it? Je- Jeffrey Donaldson said that there is a possibility of the storm and break mechanism being tested within a month uh, of the, the executive being re-established. Um, that's the part of the Windsor framework which gives Northern Ireland the power to object to EU laws. Doesn't that suggest that we're going to have further instability ahead, that the positivity that we saw yesterday, the collegiality, that that could be short-lived? Well, I really hope not. I really, really hope not. I hope that the, the, the sense of purpose that I certainly felt yesterday, I hope that that will prevail. I hope that all of us are reasonable enough to recognise that after almost, that after two years of no government, almost two years on from an election, with everything that's going on uh, across society, that the least that we can deliver is stability in government and an administration that endures. So I hope, I, I, I am going to base my approach and our approach uh, on one of good faith and goodwill. And I very much hope that that is reciprocated. The break mechanism exists. It is in the bar for its its triggering is high. It's meant to be used in exceptional circumstances where there is demonstrable damage. And I really hope that it does not become a, a mechanism for, for blocking. I'm not going to jump ahead and assume bad faith or bad will. We, we're in a good place now. We need to make okay. the most of that. And, and we need to work together collaboratively in good faith. That is, we're around the table to do just that. All right. I want to move on and, and talk to you about some other issues and the issue of immigration. And today there is a fire uh, at a vacant building near British in Dublin where protests had been taking place earlier in the week amid speculation by some people that asylum seekers were to be housed in the area. It is not clear at all whether or not that was in fact uh, to be a reality. Can I ask for, for your reaction, first of all, to that fire in British? Well, firstly, can I say that uh, arson, attacking, destroying buildings is a criminal act it is despicable that a criminal action like that is carried out um, in an atmosphere of um, very, very, from some people, very ugly attitudes around newcomers, asylum seekers and, and vulnerable people. So uh, this is a criminal action. The Gardaí need to establish what happened who is responsible and they need to be brought before the courts. Do people, That's the first thing to yes, say. Yes, um, and, and so people obviously don't have a right to burn down buildings. But do Absolutely people, but not. Do, do people have a right to say no to asylum seekers living in their area? People have a right to full information. You see, we all have a right to a level of respect being afforded to us when you're a new person coming to this country, sometimes from very mm. traumatic circumstances, but equally people who live in communities here. And I have said this consistently, Justin, from the get-go, and I experienced it in my own constituency, where government made an absolute mess of this and demonstrated utter disrespect okay, for so, local but does, communities. Does consultation mean consent? A veto. No, does it, it doesn't. No, no, it does not. Consultation means... 
what it says on the tin. Consultation means conversations with people living in communities. You can go into any village, any town, city, neighbourhoods, anywhere across Ireland and you will find people who are in community development and youth work, who run sports club, who are involved in church activities, good people, constructive people who know their communities. And when you are bringing new people in, the thing that you do, the sensible way to proceed, the respectful way to proceed is to communicate with people, to explain, not to leave uh, 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 speculation uh, in the air because it's. we now know that such speculation is seized on some to, to build up concern and anxiety. And now we know uh, some will take it to the extreme and carry out criminal actions and actually burn down buildings, which is despicable. There is an Ireland Thinks poll in the Sunday Independence Day which highlights the fact that 36% of Sinn Féin voters would consider voting for a candidate with strong anti-immigration views. Does that concern you? It concerns me that anybody would have anti-immigrant views. Um, it, it is fair to say that large sections of our economy and our service uh, provision are built on the honest effort, the talent uh, and the energy of uh, immigrants to this country. We, we have been immigrants and we are, Im- you know, immigrants ourselves uh, in other parts uh, of the world. I do accept that government has not handled uh, the immigration question well. I think it has been disorganised. It has been short-sighted. And as I referred to earlier, it has left whole sections of the community very much feeling powerless as big changes happen in their neighbourhood. So I understand where that anxiety comes from. But I have to to say, uh, we live in a society in which we will get the best, achieve the best for ourselves, for our families, when we embrace each other and we operate with each other on on the basis of respect. Would you, in in a future government, should you find yourself there, would you take any measures to try to reduce the numbers of people who are coming into this country? What will reduce the the, the numbers of refugees and the, the very strong migration patterns globally is dealing with hunger, dealing with conflict and dealing with climate change. Would you and make people any shouldn't miss the, that. Would you make any changes to the immigration system? system? Would you make it stricter? I would make it more efficient. I I believe that what we need is a system that is fair, that is efficient and that's enforced. When you say efficient, does that mean sending more people home or or back to their own countries? What it means is that when when a person presents and makes an application, that that application is dealt with efficiently. It means not leaving people in limbo for months and years on end. It means not having, for example... Thousands of people currently still stuck in direct provision, even though they have leave to remain and they have their papers. That's what efficiency means. And then enforcement means that in the event that an application is unsuccessful, well, then the person concerned leaves the jurisdiction. That's what the rule book says. And those rules have to be applied in a balanced and a fair and a transparent way and always in a way uh, that's human rights compliant. So under, under a Sinn Féin government then... Would we likely see more deportations? Well, you would see you would see those that whose applications are not successful that they would leave the jurisdiction. So this is a straight question. More deportations is that what we would see? Well, 
Justin, that's you're asking me to second get guess processes where people make applications and whether they success or succeed or fail. I clearly can't do that. What I can tell you is the rule book needs to be known, transparent, properly resourced, efficiently applied, and then in circumstances where where an application is not successful, well, then of course uh, the person leaves the jurisdiction, and the state needs to know needs to have some mechanism to know that that has in fact been uh, the case. I hear people talk, you know, about uh, this business of open borders. This seems to be the a line that's peddled by some. There's no such thing. Ireland doesn't have open borders. We have a system that is l- rules-based, that is based in law, and it has to be efficient. It has to be fair. It has to comply with human rights standards, with international law, and it also has to be applied. Okay. And I, I think reasonable people, reasonable people will see that as a fair and a sustainable way can to I, proceed. Can, can I ask a, a, about your position in relation to the 80,000 Ukrainians who live in Ireland because of the war in their country? Sure. You said before Christmas that Ukrainians who hold key positions, key jobs in the in the economy, that they should be given um, visas to stay here. Uh, the rest, you said, uh, should go into the normal asylum system, which doesn't guarantee them any rights to remain in Ireland. Y- your colleague Matt Carthy said all Ukrainians should be allowed to stay until the end uh, of the war. Um, Can you state clearly now what your position is in relation to uh, whether or not you favour extending the temporary protection order for Ukrainians? Okay, so what I actually said and what I'm happy to say again is the temporary protection directive comes to an end next March, in March of next year. There is no uh, facility to extend it. And what I have said and what I will repeat today is, therefore, there needs to be clarity for Ukrainians who live here. If there is peace in Ukraine, and I pray that there will be by the time the temporary uh, protections uh, run out, well, then I imagine lots of Ukrainians will go home with joy in their hearts and I, I, I wish them well. Others will wish to remain. And in those circumstances, we have to be clear and Ukrainian people need to know the way to get their status and their papers is to get work permits, work visas on the one hand, or if the, the, the country is still unsafe, because clearly people can't go back to an unsafe situation, well, then they will go into the standard asylum uh, uh, procedures. That, that is, and what I'm looking for, Justin, is clarity from the government on this because too often, and this has been the hallmark of, well, of the what, mishandling what, of the immigration your, what's system. What's your position though? You're asking for clarity from others but not providing it for, from your own well, point of view. Well, my clear understanding, and I think the plan has to be, um, in the event that the, the protections run out, I think those uh, Ukrainians who are at work and who wish to stay and remain working here need to apply for work permits and they need to know that that will be the pathway for, forward for them. Others who, who are here, who for whom it is not safe to return, will go into the standard uh, uh, asylum system. I don't believe that there is another third way. And what I the point that I am making is too often these issues have been to the, left to the last minute, to the 11th hour, and that okay. has been most unhelpful. It's been very stressful for, for people seeking status and it's caused all sorts of uh, social tensions that I believe with good planning, with intelligent planning and good communications can be uh, relieved okay. or, or avoided entirely. Has Sinn Féin decided its position in relation to the forthcoming referendums on family and care? Well, um, 
obviously it's a good thing in my book that sexist uh, language be removed from the constitution and that we recognise the diversity of families. That's a very, very good thing. I would have to say that the the language on caring is inadequate. Uh, It falls very short of the Citizens' uh, Assembly. Um, and the whole thing was rushed by government, which re- for reasons that only they can explain. I was actually uh, on track to have a final decision taken by the Oracle this weekend on Saturday, but as you can appreciate, <laughs> we had to we had to move that back to to next weekend because ne- of next developments week, we're in the half, north. We're four and a half weeks away from that referendum. That's you're, right. You're leaving it late in the day to to have your well, position. Well, Justin, I made the point to you that government plucked this out of the air, plucked a date out of the air rushed legislation through the House wouldn't even do uh, mm. pre-legislative scrutiny so they have rushed things and you, that has that has left you, time tight for all You're unhappy with some of the language yes. does that mean you'll be campaigning for a no vote? No, it means I'm unhappy with the language I am equally happy that the, uh, the very, very uh, uh, old-fashioned uh, gender-biased language around women. Of course, I wish to see that out of the Constitution. I don't think anyone would be surprised to hear that. Um, the, the, so that's a positive. But there isn't the type of progress that I know lots of carers and people in caring professions hoped to see embedded in the Constitution. Okay. So I think that's a pity. So own, it's your, a balance in that. Your own view then, I mean, would you, will, will, do you think Sinn Féin will be, will be campaigning in this referendum? Will it be campaigning for a yes, yes? Well, I'm going to go to the Ord Coyle and I put my view there and I, I, I want us uh, as a party to to take a view finally. I, I have to say it would have been far preferable had the government given a, a little bit of time and consideration to this, gotten the wording right. I mean, there's questions that have been the, asked. The in, government in, position in, is clear at this point. It's your position that's and not the gov- clear. And the government's position was that they rushed something and that they've produced inadequate right, language. So I'll bring it to the Oracle and we'll, we'll uh, make our final position uh, known at another that point. week. Another week before we know then. Um, you, you told the Irish Times in December you wanted um, to see... You would like house prices to come down in Dublin to around 300,000 euros. How would you make that happen? I want affordable housing to be affordable. That's the the, the the long and the short of this. People might be shocked or not shocked to know that over a period of four years, this government has produced a measly just over a thousand affordable homes. Mm. Disgraceful. How, and at prices that are not affordable. How, so how, how will we do it? How would you bring down house prices for, so what for we will, ordinary people? So what we will do for people uh, who are looking to get into the housing market, um, we will strip out uh, land costs, site servicing costs, professional fees, etc., etc., by using state lang- land intelligently and strategically and building on it for affordable housing and you can bring prices to €300,000 or below uh, when when you're talking in the region. The the Society of Chartered Surveyors says that most of the cost of building a house uh, and and the cost of building a house in Dublin is about €461,000 for a family home, three-bed semi. It says most of the cost of that is bricks and mortar costs. You can't bring those down. But, well, they don't. It's actually less than half of that is 50, actually... 53%. Is, actually, it's €179,000 they pl- place it at, so it's less than half of the overall cost. The cost of land, the surfacing of land, development levies have been waived, but uh, utility levies and so on... These these are the things that actually beef up the cost. So what we're saying is this: we need every sector 
to be uh, firing on all cylinders and we need um, output to rise uh, very substantially. I've been talking to people all across the industry, builders, developers, approved housing bodies, engineers, architects, local authority people, all of them know that we can we can ramp up uh, scale and all of them know that we can produce affordable housing. But it does mean that the state has to intervene. It means using public land for the building of public housing for affordable and affordable uh, rental. It means removing the land costs and other costs from the final uh, cost to the purchaser. Um, and it means the government, above all else, actually giving real priority to this and ensuring that when you build affordable housing, that it is actually affordable. Do you intend to remove the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, from his post if you're in power after the next election? Well, I understand that Drew Harris is uh, due to for retirement uh, sometime in the near future, so I don't think that will arise. Well, what if it does arise? What if there's a general election? I'm not getting into what ifs as regards the Garda Commissioner. Why not? You you express no confidence yes. in him. I also express no confidence in the Minister for mm. Justice. We're talking about the Garda Commissioner. You express yep. no confidence in him. It it is a key position. If you found yourself as Taoiseach after the next election, possibly in the next couple of months, uh, if you were successful, if there was a snap election, um, would you be able to work with Drew Harris? I I can work with uh, I can work with everybody who has a a job to do. Um, So there's absolutely no issue there. I expressed uh, the lack of confidence in circumstances where last uh, November control was lost. Uh, law and order broke down on the streets of our capital city. And I have to say, uh, for a a long time prior to that, um, it was very, very evident. And people will tell you still to this day that they do not feel safe um, in parts of our capital city. On the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris once said that he agreed with an assessment of the PSNI that members of the provisional IRA believe that Sinn Féin is still overseen by the Army Council. And he has not said since then that he no longer holds that view. Would that make it impossible for you to work with him in the future? Well, sure, I've, I've met, we've met with, we, we worked with Drew Harris long before he was in the guard this year, Gona, when he was part of the PSNI. So I, I, there, there's no, there isn't a question mark, there's demonstrable evidence of our ability to work Okay, uh, but you together. don't have, uh, that was before you expressed no confidence in him. Yes, and yeah. I have set out for this. I, I'm not exactly sure what you're getting at. I am not the Taoiseach. I'm not the Minister for Justice. Drew Harris is serving in his role. I, I made my view plain when the when that those circumstances arose. I think people I made would be, it I plain what be, I thought people the, would be the interested to know is if you become Taoiseach, would you be removing the Garda Commissioner from his post? But but you're asking me to speculate, and I, I am not no, going I'm to a, speculate. Well, I'm you a, are. I, I mean, that's a question. It's not of, a speculative question. It's a question of choice. Is that something that you would intend to do if you became leader? First order of business, if if I were to become Taoiseach and if we're given the opportunity to lead government, the first focus will be on housing, on building housing and getting that job over. That'll be number one on my Specifically in, in relation to the, the commissioner then, w- would you allow him to remain, uh, to serve out the remainder of his contract? I, I, I believe, as I had said to you at the beginning of this labyrinthine uh, series of questions, it is my understanding that the guard, the commissioner, is not terribly far from retirement. I wish him well in that. I made my position known at the time. That uh, remains uh, my view on the handling uh, on that occasion. 
I'm not the Taoiseach and I'm not going to get into some long-winded speculation as to what might or might happen okay. in circumstances All right. unknown. Uh, I, uh, as a Sinn Féin TD, you mentioned the Ord Corla um, uh, uh, of Sinn Féin earlier. Um you signed a pledge, I think, making yourself amenable to all directions and instructions issued by the Ord Corla of Sinn Féin. Um, if, if other parties are talking to you after the, the general election, whenever that will be, about the prospect of uh, negotiating a programme for government, who are they negotiating with? Is it, is it you, Mary Lou MacDonald, or is it the Ord Corla of Sinn Féin, which is made up of people who do not live in this state and is also made up of some former IRA figures. The Ord Corla of our party is like the national executive of any other party or of any other organisation like the GAA, for example, which also has shock horror in its midst and on its Ord Corla, people who live in the the north. We're a national organisation, as you know. Anybody who's dealing with me or who negotiates with me is dealing with me. I'm the leader of a party that is uh, national. Uh, We make our decisions um, internally in a fair uh, and balanced way. The Ord Corla and the executive fulfils the same role as in any other organisation. Sometimes listening to this little scare tactic, you'd imagine that none of the other uh, political parties had Ord Corla or national executives. They do, just to let your listeners know. And of course, those... um, those bodies are responsible for the organisation of the party, the running of elections and all of that. And of course, they are briefed politically. But be clear, whoever is in government um, has a a legal and a constitutional duty uh, to collective cabinet responsibility, to confidentiality, which I would take very, very seriously, and to acting in the national good. And nobody in a government led by me or that I participate in will do anything other than honour that legally binding constitutional duty. I take that with the utmost seriousness and I can assure you uh, there wouldn't be uh, leaking uh, and some of the carry-on that you've seen from other uh, administrations. All right, Mary Lou MacDonald, leader of Sinn Féin, thank you very much for coming in to talk to us today. We're back with more after this break.